0: I do get pegged as an angry black man quite a bit. I think anytime I bring a comment that doesn't fully take into care the white people in the room, then I get the angry black man line, right? Or the discomfort because I didn't care for the white people enough in the room at the, that particular time. That always brings discomfort. Let's begin
1: paper and pen, stories to tell, battles to win. deep breath and count to ten.
0: Let's begin, let's begin, begin. 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 Alright, what up folks? This is Leroy Barber with Sit Up Podcast. And as usual, we are thankful for you following along this journey with us. It has been almost six months now. Unbelievable that we have been... Um, pushing these podcasts out and I hope you have been been enjoying them as much as we have been uh first shout out of course to our producer Andrew Morgan who's been with us the whole way uh you are familiar with his voice in many of our interviews uh also you know you can hit us up on social networks uh, sit up podcasts on Facebook you can shoot questions or comments or concerns to me at Leroy Barber on my Twitter or my Facebook or my Instagram and we love feedback uh, and so just make sure you make sure you connect in. Uh, also, you know, we are sponsored by the United Methodist Church of the Greater Northwest. Woohoo! Shout out to the folks that's helping us be on the air. Uh, also, um, a shout out to Amina Brown and Matt Owen for our background music from their EP Soul Graffiti. If you don't know them, please check them out. Uh, Amina and Matt were just in town with us uh, and uh, we had a great, great show. And uh, she'll probably be back here in the Portland area in October, so y'all stay tuned. To uh, if you didn't make it this time, make it the next. So today, so uh, 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 y'all don't know Drew Andrew, r- 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 our producer, but he is uh, he's he's really good at what he does. And so we're sitting around today, uh, prepping for our podcast, and he kind of was like, "Hey, yeah, we probably need to." get your voice out there some more it's been you know it's been less and less over the last few weeks i've been doing all these interviews and so we're kind of kicking it back and forth a little bit about the next shows and how we finish out this season uh so good stuff Uh, of course y'all have y'all have received some of his great work um and but we came to this thing of like maybe we need to like take a break like re re kind of set folks to what sit up is all about and uh, and then continue so this week uh, we're going to do something probably a little different we're going to introduce a third voice uh and uh we're going to do an interview but ho- hopefully you'll like it hopefully you will like it here here's the thing we want sit up to be a relaxed atmosphere that's one of the things that is really important to us that we're not when we're, we're well done we're professionally done but like that you get the feel that you're in your living room or when you're in your car it's relaxing you can kind of listen to it you laugh a little bit and those kinds of things we wanted to kind of represent this whole of life we are we are complex people right uh, i know for me right i'm a parent uh you know i'm married i have a partner that i have to Figure out life with, right? Uh, I'm, a, I, you know, I'm involved heavily in foster care. I, that's a part of me that um that i care about deeply I, I have adopted children i have biological children and, you know, i love football right and i'm a preacher so i'm in theology i you know i'm in the bible a few times a week i find some time to to study and pray and, and and those kinds of things i wish i was i wish i was as good as my wife donna who's in there every morning literally i you know i'm not i'm not i'm not as spiritual as that but uh, i try uh, and and I love traveling. So and I I've been to six continents, right? And I've preached on six continents and had some fun on six continents. I love that part of my life. Uh, and uh, I haven't been to Antarctica. And a lot of y'all know it's cold there, so black people probably don't wouldn't, wouldn't enjoy that too much. But anyway, so today um, we're gonna probably do a lot of those subjects that kind of represent the whole of life, like. What are things we're talking about and thinking about and wrestling with? What are the hard questions uh, in our life? And and we're gonna hit, probably hit all of our what what our shit up stands for: sports, innovation, theology, the ugly, injustice, uh, and public discourse. We're gonna try to hit some of those some of those topics all the day. And so our guest today uh, is me. <laughs> I'm going to get interviewed. This third voice coming in today uh, is Jess Bielman. Uh, he is a coworker, uh, an innovator, uh, an academic, uh, and just just he's a parent, you know, uh, just a cool guy all around. I really like him a lot, and I hope he takes it easy on me in this interview. Uh, this is the Sit Up Podcast. I am Leroy Barber. Let's begin.
1: And let's be clear. You only get one chance one opportunity one request to appear one moment to consider what you might hold dear a few seconds to digest what might be coming near a quick check of which direction you may want to steer maybe god is pro-choice he gave each of us a will mind a voice and whether we will make statements speak truth or add to the noise is up to us to take the dust we've been given to treat our seconds like scents and watch how we spend them to use our words like olive branches in the mouths of birds and watch where we send them take the negative thoughts we were taught take our wounded souls and hearts and let God mend them let's begin blank paper and pen stories to tell battles to win deep
2: breath and count to 10. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Thanks, Leroy. I'm excited to be here. I've been listening to the Sit-Up podcast, hoping maybe I was going to get a shot to be here with oh, you.
0: Oh, do you really listen? All right. I yeah. listen. I listen. All, right. All right.
2: I dialed All right. in. I've been, uh, occasionally I've been sending out saying, hey, you got to listen to this particular episode. Okay. The people right. in my life right. I think would benefit. My name is Jess Bielman. I'm excited to be here. I am a Northwest man. I have, uh, Still have my Kurt Cobain hairstyle from the 90s. I'm a grunge era, um, an adult now who's trying to figure out how to live in the world as a um, in this way. I love the Northwest. I'm a as also a sports fan. My first love is the Oakland Athletics. I've loved them longer than I've loved anybody in my life, but my mother and my grandmother. Um, I'm a little heartbroken with my Portland Trailblazers going out, but I was just happy to be. Know, just kind of happy we were there y'all so, made it to the finals all right. i know i was just happy to be there if we got swept we got swept but i was right, just happy right. to be there um i know you're a big sports fan uh leroy yes, there's I, been some amazing bit, bit. Been shots in this nba postseason uh, dames was incredible but i'd like to start out talking with Kawhi leonards that in four bounces buried your philadelphia <laughs> oh, 76ers
0: is this how we're going to start this interview man how do you feel so, about not going to the western yeah finals so you know the eastern conference finals i am a i'm a huge sixers fan and uh I have an old school sixers jersey that I wear my daughter and my kids I laugh at me and uh i was heartbroken when that three point shot landed on the basket like so softly and then bounces four times man that was that was brutal like my heart just sank and uh so for all of my, my kids especially enjoyed the moment. Just mm-hmm. so everybody knows. They do not like the Sixers. They love, their, you know, the kids these days are all in love with with Curry and a Warrior. So what can you say?
2: Yeah, I just think you got to be careful starting at anything with the kids these days. You can <laughs> feel in your age. Um, Philly sports fans are notoriously a a tough bunch, right? They'll boo, even start a booing Bryce Harbor, right? Mm-hmm, They'll mm-hmm. boo their own kind. I, I know you're here in the Northwest. How do you think the vibe was in Philly after the bounce and the shots? Uh, I
0: could tell you this: Kawhi Leonard will never be welcome in Philadelphia. (laughs) I I think if they try
2: to sign him, they'd be happy to get.
0: (laughs) get that. Look, in Philly,
2: they don't like Kobe Bryant.
0: Yeah, that's true. He's a local. He came from
2: close to from lower America. He did that to to himself though when he when he sort of. Call L. A. is home.
0: Hey man, so they boo Kobe Bryant like the uh, Kawhi. No, it is never gonna happen. Uh, so. What
2: makes the Philly fan so unique?
0: Man, it's a, it's a it's Philly is a blue collar town, yeah. and uh, I mean you know the Eagles are number one in that city, right? Football is it, and the Eagles are it, right? And uh, they just they love if you. You want to know Philly? Just look at the people they admire. That's all you got to yeah. do, right? Like, yeah. so, like, let me get a little list: John Kruk from the John 90s, Kruk, right? Allen Iverson, yep. oh, Charles Iverson. Barkley, yep. Moses Malone. Right? Like, does that list like that list tells you? Yeah. Hard nose, grunge, like all those, all the like they just love that kind of athlete. So that's Philly, and that's Philly in a nutshell.
2: So, and so you, you, you talk so wonderful about philadelphia and the sports and the fans yet you sit in front of a cowboy jersey as we talk and i know you've explained before how you became a cowboy fan while living in philly um but it just seems I, I can't imagine it feels like you're trying to be kobe bryant gonna get booed when you go home wow man
0: y'all hear i about this dude oh he's going in right so uh yeah, man, I grew up in a, I, you know, I started football in the 70s. The Cowboys were the team. And so I went with the Cowboys. Any any Phillies family admit, any Eagles family admit, in the 70s, Roman Gabriel and all of that crew was terrible. They weren't real fans themselves. So so, so I jumped ship in the 70s and I never came I never back. Never came back in.
2: <laughs> As you see here at the man cave with your sign with the Cowboys. That's right. Plus there. it's
0: America's team. So anybody in America is welcome.
2: Well. Come on, <laughs> since you're really sold out to the American dream. Um, yeah, we'll get back to that. Um, so this week, Ezekiel gets popped again. Um, as a man of integrity, as a man of faith, as a man whose ethical uh, framework stands strong, it's an interesting question about sports. How much do we hold like, our teams or our players like, accountable to a certain ethical system? Like, At what point do we stop listening to um, musicians when mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm, what they do, mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. quickly do we stop watching actors when their personal life, how quickly do we turn on a sports figure like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, how do you navigate in that of your own realm? Yeah. I, and I think, I think
0: there before, before the NFL kneel down, you know, I think I don't, I, I mean, I obviously had, you know, some, some problems with some of these athletes and their, and their morals, right. And kind of how to carry them, themselves in public. Um, but I think after, uh, Kaepernick and after the kneel down, like I, I, I have some stronger views around, you know, who we should be, uh, who we as, uh, as fans and as a community, who we lift up and who, and, and, you know, quite frankly, it's a publicly traded company. Like, who do we, like, who do we endorse as athletes? Right. And, and, and what is our gladiator sport in this country? Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all, I, I'm, One hundred percent, you know, like if a if a guy is hitting a woman, you know, hurting kids, any of these kind of things, like they can't play in the NFL. Right. Mm. Like they lose that license. Right. You can go go get a, a a job, regular job like everyone else. You don't get the the benefit of being an athlete playing in that league because there's plenty of men who go through life who don't hit women. Yeah. Right. And who don't harm kids. Right. And, or and who don't get in fights in bars. Right. Like we just we got to draw a line. And I I think I'm ready to draw that line. Is that uh, line
2: just at violence or is there or is violence just one category of a, of a bigger line? Yeah. I mean,
0: violence. Obviously, violence is a line. Right. But I think it starts earlier for these athletes. Right. And how we treat them in schools, how we treat them sure. in colleges, all all those kinds of things we got to start yeah reach looking back and drawing some lines earlier Ag- agreed um it's just violence is an obvious one that's, yeah. that's probably why so
2: if you turn the variable from sports to something like music do you feel like do you feel the same tendency when thinking about the music you listen to the music your kids listen to right i mean there's there have been a, some momentum to stop listening to artists whose – Behaviors have been so overt and caught in the news or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you find that same stirring in and of yourself? Well, yeah. I mean, we, you know,
0: all the debate now right around Kanye West, right? Sure. Uh, R. Kelly, R. R. Kelly, uh, and all all the heads turned on behavior he's had with young girls. Absolutely, musicians. Chris Brown. Yep. I mean, the list goes on. So. I've heard
2: people try to posthumously Michael Jackson in the R. Kelly category. What are you, do you do? Uh, you've got the Michael Jackson album. Do you, will you still put that on on a Saturday night when bumping around with the family?
0: So, here is where I I, I don't know if I'm hypocritical, but here's where I can't i can't ask michael right now right like and i wish i could and i know people saying you know hey this story came out and all this but maybe we've known for i mean potentially maybe maybe it's because i grew up in an age where michael jackson came to you know he he you know i watched tv where people were fainting as he gets off the plane right uh and so maybe i have a little bit of bias that way um but even that if 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 Michael Jackson had some problems with young kids, absolutely. Um, we should, we should, we should draw some lines. Like I, I don't, I don't want to play with that line at all. Yeah. Um,
2: so yeah, I, I think we'd have to draw it. It's interesting how much our personal experiences like blur those, what the lines we want to have, like none of this stuff is really static. Like doesn't peel it. Like there's mm-hmm, not a line mm-hmm. that says, if, whether it's violence or another like this seems to be too far this doesn't it has to do a lot with well it's my team so i don't really want my star to be right not able to um i have a lot longer leash for the teams i like or the musicians i like or my history versus i have a shorter leash for your you know for your team
0: right absolutely because if it was michael jackson and my kid there's no question right absolutely right so so yeah
2: we we gotta draw those lines i think so the um you did the kneel down uh uh, two seasons ago, where you did not watch the NFL, um, for all of us who are in your life and friends, you know you're we, we were pained with you as you sacrificed <laughs> this thing that you love. Um, you decided to watch football again this last season. Um, looking back now at a, a year out, what have, what do you think you learned? What what what? How do you approach football and your fandom now, and, and how has that been different um, than previous eras of your life?
0: Yeah, I mean the biggest learning is I can't blindly follow something. Um, even as much as I love football, I I was a blind follower, right. And not digging deeper into who these owners are, what they're supporting, um, what kind of messages they're sending. Um, these, all, all of these things came out during that protest for me, um, you know, from, you know, owners colluding to, uh, you know, to keep Kaepernick out of the league, right. To an owner, literally, right calling these players criminals and uh, to, you know, I mean, to Jerry Jones, threatening owners, threatening players, right? Like um, these guys, these, these guys don't represent all that's good in society in a a lot of ways. They represent some of the ills of capitalism gone, gone crazy. And so um, I definitely watch it from a different perspective now. Um, I, I, I think football has um, a place in our country um, that, um, isn't always healthy uh, and and makes us turn our back on a lot of issues that we should be looking at from players getting, college athletes getting paid, right? Yeah. Um, millions and millions of dollars being made by the NCAA um, around football um, and these athletes not getting paid. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack. Um, and again, I don't want to make it all sound all bad. Yes, people get education. Um, most athletes don't become pro their educations is what gets them on in life. And so um, I do want to, I do want to acknowledge that, but there's a lot, there's a lot to, to be questioned as well that we should, we should be thinking about. So, Well,
2: let's turn our attention to the I in the sit up podcast innovation. We are often together in, in spaces where you make the statement, innovation happens at the intersection of difference. You've uh, addressed that a little bit in in this podcast and pre prior episodes, but Talk a little bit about the, the what difference means in this in, in, as you talk about it
0: mm-hmm. yeah, so um everybody wants to everybody wants to do something new, right? everybody wants to be innovative today we're in the days of Google and you know uber and uh micro you know big giant intel companies and and all these things and nike and 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 everybody wants to be innovative, but the uh, the reality is that innovation can't happen um if you don't bring different things together right if you don't if you're not bringing a and b and a and x together in a space to where you're able to create something and we find that uh when when we are in our own space and bubbles and places of culture that we kind of get set in those ways right we get we kind of get a we kind of get a rhythm, and there's nothing wrong with that rhythm, and there's nothing wrong with culture, and there's nothing wrong um, with honoring and knowing your own culture and race. But for us to solve problems that come up, we need innovation, and for innovation to happen, we've got to get in the same rooms and in the same space. Even and those clashes are actually where innovation is born from. So I'm an advocate of. Of diversity of all kinds, getting in sp- each other's spaces, whether that's men, women, whether that's uh, people who are able and people who are disabled, whether that's uh, whether that's race, obviously, right, or uh, whether that's different parts of the country, right? Uh, Northwesterners think completely different <laughs> than Philadelphians, right? right. So, uh, so we need those things to innovate, and uh, I'm an advocate of that.
2: Let's talk a minute though about intentional racial diversity as a as a factor mm-hmm. um, in. Uh, innovation. How does the particulars of race benefit the innovation process? Well, yeah. So I've, race is a big one, right? And uh,
0: the one of the biggest differences that we we constantly trip over in our in our world, um, because race brings in a question of privilege. It brings in a question of power. Uh, and then when you when you start talking about wanting to innovate, but you have all this power and this privilege also working then then you also have to you have to have to deal with other factors where you've got to kind of go uh take an extra step and ask some people to step up and some people to step back so that you can innovate right so um so quite honestly right people with power uh, people with influence uh white folks need to step back right um people who don't necessarily are always feel welcome in those spaces or that they can put their voice in. We need folks to step up. Right. And so that we can innovate. Uh, and that's a hard call. Um, when you don't have power and you are thinking you have to do something to, 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 to help this innovation take place. That's, that's more risky for you. And I would say it's more risky for people without power and influence.
2: So how much time do you, get to spend actually doing innovation work versus convincing people that they need to bring difference to the table totally. for innovation. Most of
0: my work is trying to convince people. Absolutely. Right. I, I love the innovative parts and that's where the practice comes in. Um, that's where the clashes happen. So when I planted a church, right. And we got these different people in the room and they're clashing and they're trying to figure out how to do life together. That's innovative space. That's where great ideas are born. That's where people are sharpened and, and all those kind of all that kind of great activity. Um, I love that space, but I don't. I don't get to be in that space as much as I used to. Um, but there's value to being in a place to, uh, to 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 help help create that space, you know,
2: especially for younger people to yeah. to get into. So, so there's something about power and privilege that does not want difference in the equation, which you find yourself in situations where you're pushing up against that to convince, mm-hmm. uh, to convince an intentional racial diversity to happen. Oh, absolutely. In innovation spaces.
0: Why would, you want, why would you want change and you have all the privilege and power, right? <laughs> change what? For what?
2: Right? That's a logical question,
0: right? Uh, uh, but it, does, like, it doesn't solve the world's problems. The world's problems can only be solved when we have all, everybody at the table, right? And that difference is clashing. Then we can solve problems in a better way. Do you think folks agree with you on that? Nope. Like, I, I, I think people with power think they can solve all the problems.
2: Yeah, like you're, the world. What you've just said about the world's problems needing to be solved by everybody being at the table—that's a worldview that I think a lot of people might sign on the dotted line for. But I wonder how much folks believe, like, but with power, believe that internally. It seems like what you're asking for is a worldview that, in your convincing work. How successful do you find at being able to let's use a religious word, convert folks? It's good.
0: So this is, that leads into my work with working with younger, younger leaders and leaders of color, right? That, um, that leaders of color are necessary for our society to advance for our bigger problems to be solved. And, uh, we unfortunately have a place where, um, you know, this is this is where the, the, the hard part of the Sit Up podcast comes, right? Where we really have white leaders who think they can solve it. They can lead it. They can make it happen. And the reality is they can't. And that's a hard pill to swallow. But
2: they can't. You can, you, you just can't do it. So it sounds like you spend your life massaging white emotions. Well people would like me to salt to
0: to do that. Right. Uh, And there was a time in my career where I did do that. Right. Like I spent a lot of time with a lot of white folks doing a lot of work, uh, discipling white young adults and sitting on boards with white leaders and trying to be this kind of bridge. And, uh, and I tell you at the age I am now, um, I don't have a lot of patience for that any longer um, because I feel like, the other end of things, uh, younger leaders, leaders of color need to be affirmed
2: in their leadership and and who they are. The I'm struck by that. I don't have a lot of patience for that anymore. What's the line between I don't have a lot of patience for that anymore and I get pegged as an angry black man?
1: Mm.
0: Oh, wow.
2: Um, I do get pegged as an angry black man quite a bit
0: um uh and i think um that anytime i bring a comment that doesn't fully take into care the white people in the room then i get then i get the angry black man line right or the discomfort because i didn't care for the white people enough in the room
2: at the, that particular time that always brings discomfort so you not only have to navigate being for the young leaders of color or for equity in a space but also navigating each of the individual people in the room and how they're going to respond to the initiative you're trying to bring oh absolutely
0: i think i think I think many leaders of color and many people of color are always navigating that space. It doesn't matter if you are working, um, you know, whether you are a uh, janitor at a hotel and you've got to navigate your supervisor who's white, right? You, you've got to navigate that space and make sure that person isn't offended too much because they have the power that happens on every level. It's like, It doesn't just happen for uh, middle-class, upper-middle-class white folks, uh, black folks, folks of color in positions of influence. It happens every day for people of color, for poor people who don't have any power influence. They've got to navigate power. And generally, that falls along the lines of race.
2: I feel like we've hit the I, the T, and the U in the Sit-Up podcast with innovation, theology, and the ugly for a minute. But- (laughs) Uh, just, just one more question. It seems like that dynamic, by just by definition, you can't, you cannot be innovated. That that goes against the process of innovation that you've told us too.
0: Absolutely, I think we work against innovation all the time. Folks know where where I work now. Um, I am a part of United Methodist Church. Uh, it is a massive institution uh, that has been around for a very long time and it's set in its ways it has it has established some some order and that order has dictated how they operate for a long time that institution in and of itself works against innovation every day that institution is working against innovation and we are in the middle of disrupting that institution enough at least in the greater northwest to where
2: innovation can be on the table this is really good but we're going to take a break for a moment and we'll come back with more questions for you
1: no matter our skin tone time zone no matter the balance of the scale or our bank account it's true life can bruise you it can seem that nothing leaves a mark like wounds do but the funny thing about wounds is given time to heal they make the most beautiful tattoos some people call them scars but in the eyes of the right beholder, they can be art. love doesn't keep secrets. love chooses to see forgiving and accepting that you've been forgiven can set you free
2: I, I think every endeavor we do, we do have, has a theology and there's a behind the kind of maintaining behind stability there's a theology
0: mm-hmm.
2: behind disruption there's mm-hmm. a theology
0: mm-hmm.
2: how is it that you see your own faith growing as a result of disruptive work? How do you see it? Uh, you, know, you mentioned you're you know, your, your engaging the Bible and your own kind of spiritual formation at the, at the outset of this. How has that engaged and changed the way you, you know, process even your own spiritual life?
0: Hmm. It's funny because I didn't know I was a disruptor, right? Hmm. But I have been my entire life. Uh, And uh, the younger people that I get the honor of sitting with now um, and give them this advice be yourself, be the self that God created you to be, be the black, Latino, Asian, um, uh, uh, LGBTQIA, like be who you are, who you believe God has created you to be, bring that person to the table. Right. Like I didn't know I was that person. And so um, that person actually got uh, pushed out of me. Yeah. Until later in life. Right. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, like here is who I am. And is it okay for me to be the guy who uh, who's always who's always thinking about a way right, to change something? Right. Or to make it better or to. To, to disrupt right? because we're stuck in our ways. Um, sometimes that comes on purpose and sometimes that's just naturally me. Uh, that's just naturally who I am. And I'm okay with being naturally who I am. And I want, I want our younger leaders, especially our leaders of color to be
2: okay with that. I, I often wonder at the young people that you work with, as I watch you working with it, why they are still considering... American religion at all, why they're still considering Christianity at all in a, in in an American religion that has been so shaped by whiteness, by white supremacy culture, by white ideology. How is it that you put together your faith that gives you hope? And what is it about the gospel that you believe that's different from this, uh, the whiteness that has shaped most of American religion? I think it's, uh, purely, Jess, I think
0: an understanding that the gospel, like Jesus, any, it, however you want to frame that, it's not American, right? And the more I got to understand, oh, you mean God is way bigger than what I am experiencing in my small piece of the world here in the United States of America and how that has come to me and what privileges have come to me because I happen to be born in this country uh, that I didn't notice until I went somewhere else. Wow. Right. And then when I went somewhere else, understanding, and realizing, Oh, like, like, wow, God is still good. Right. In the middle of a, of this place, that's not America. That doesn't have always have the running water and, and this or that and the other. But, there's still joy there's still family there's still there's still community right there is still history there is still things people are passing on to their children that's beautiful right without all of this and so um for those listening and whether you're and you're in this country in the US or not like like god god is bigger than what we can imagine and so All of these things, all of this stuff that uh, we get into in the U S for the most part, doesn't even touch, in my opinion, the beauty of creator doesn't even get close to it. And so, um, (laughs) but I'm like, man, or like, are we going to hell or the rest of the world going to heaven? right? Like,
2: like, is it, like, cause fair reading of the gospel. Cause,
0: cause man, I, I am I the rich man because of where I'm born and, and I haven't, I haven't been saved because I haven't given up, um, some of these things that have nothing, literally nothing to do with the message that I'm reading about in those scriptures.
2: Okay. So can I, I want to push you a little bit. What is specifically those things? What is, what is specifically the prophetic, to America that I am sitting, I
0: own a house. I'm living in one house in Oregon and I own another house in Atlanta. And I have justified that within myself. Hmm. I don't need that to know God. I don't need that to experience joy. I don't need that to be a good husband. I don't need that to be a good father. I don't need that uh to love my neighbor. I don't need that, right? Uh to uh to be fulfilled internally and to be a whole person has nothing to do with the two houses I possess. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Right? But yet somewhere in my theology, somewhere in my understanding as an American, me owning a home makes me a better person, makes me a more responsible
2: person, makes me a more moral person. That's jacked up. Yeah. It's interesting to hear a black man in America talk about safety, security and comfort, which is often not afforded like in the systems of America. So here's a black man talking about I don't need the safety security and comfort that I have in a country that in many ways will not allow black men to have comfort safety and security. Like absolutely. Like you like these pieces seem uh, an odd tension to me. Isn't that, isn't this Christian life like isn't
0: this Christian life a tension especially for us who live in America, who live in the US? I think it's a tension. It's a tension we don't we don't always talk about yes as a black man is crazy in this country it's crazy around the world right it's crazy the stuff that i put up with every single day whether i'm like and and the thing that's ironic whether i'm sitting in a boardroom right or whether i'm laying on the street i got something in common with that black man laying on the street yep that's crazy and then at the same time because I'm sitting in a boardroom, then there's other things that come into play around what it means for me to be a follower of Jesus that then separates me from my brother on the street in some weird, crazy way. It's all, it's tension, man. Like, and it's, it's stuff we rather not think about.
2: Flesh out. What are the, what what are those differences?
0: I grew up uh, in a city that was, um, at least half or more uh, African American, black folks. So a working class city, I just worked, right Not that uh, not that work is the answer, but I worked. And so the mere fact that I worked does that mean that I'm better than my this person laying on the street? No. But it did allow me to buy a car or save some money or um, or, or rent an apartment, right, um, or any of these kinds of things, like I did that in that city. Let's say if you were uh, you were a black man in the same age as I am and you grew up in Mississippi and you worked, where you work might have been quite different, wow, right? Um, the experience you had with white people might've been quite different because you were in Mississippi and I was in Philadelphia. So there's all of these, these factors that play into where our lives end up as, as black people. Um, And uh, there was, there's one thing I admire about civil rights movement and uh, the black folks before us is that they somehow overcame those differences to come together, at least for moments to move this world somewhere. And, uh, I don't know, like for me, I don't know if we, uh, if we still have capacity to do that. I think we might, um, which is why I'm a huge advocate of black spirituality because I think it's a one place that, or one of a few places that bring us back together, um, in some cultural ways that, uh, that are helpful as we sit in church together. So.
2: Is there a difference between how you frame Black spirituality and Black theology, or would you use those two things interchangeably? There's a difference. I th- I think now, like, Black theology could be—
0: it could be conservative Baptist, right? Or it could be, you know, um, it could be a Pentecostal, right? Uh, it could be— uh, 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 you could be a Black Israelite, right, in sure. this country, right? So it could— it could It could run a gamut, right? But it, but what I've experienced in, in going into these different spaces, there is a spirituality that's different. That is um, more more like there's a there's a connection culturally. there's a connection with music, there's a connection with art, there's a connection with, uh, with honoring your elders, right? It, it, I can go into many different black spaces theologically that all will similarly honor the elders, hmm. right? That all will use music in a certain way, right? Where the arts are, are done and honored in a certain way. So um, that part of the spirituality piece of blackness is, is incredible that I experienced even when I was in, uh, in you know, parts of Africa, okay. in Malawi or in Cape Town, right? That there was, a, there was a black spirituality present.
2: So let's be real explicit. Fill in the blank. Black spirituality has blank to offer the world. Man, black spirituality, in
0: my opinion, has uh, hope to offer the world, has healing to offer the world, um, has connections globally hmm. to connect the world in ways that it's not connected. Um, yeah, I, I, I believe heavily in it's the magic of it. And maybe that's what black girl magic is all about, because <laughs> black women got it, right? So, <laughs>
2: We're going to take a break and we'll come back with more questions.
1: Listen, and let's be clear. You only get one chance, one opportunity, one request to appear, one moment to consider what you might hold dear, a few seconds to digest what might be coming near, a quick check of which direction you may want to steer. Maybe God is pro-choice. He gave each of us a will, a mind, a voice, and whether we will make statements, speak truth, or add to the noise is up to us to take the dust we've been given. To treat our seconds like scents and watch how we spend them. To use our words like olive branches in the mouths of birds and watch where we send them. Take the negative thoughts we were taught. Take our wounded souls and hearts and let God mend them. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin.
2: So let's transition from the beauty to the ugly. The sit-up podcast, you the ugly, the injustice, uh, and let's—I I think we've sort of stayed in this frame of, of as we've talked theology, we've also talked injustice. Mm-hmm. When you talk about hope and hurt and healing, um, it seems like that—that that what Black spirituality has to offer the world is in relationship to its suffering,
1: mm-hmm. to
2: its relationship to injustice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, you know, it has been celebrated how the Black Church in the Civil Rights era engage the injustice of its time. What affirmations or critiques do you have for, for black spirituality as it engages the injustice of our time? We've, we've, in many ways, we've traveled a lot of roads since civil rights and in other ways we haven't traveled any.
0: Well, yeah. So engaging the injustice of this world is a, is a historical engagement, right? And I think if you forget that you, you can get pretty burned out and, and lose track. Right. So that the, The long view, right, is that um, black people entered this country as slaves and have moved themselves forward in society in some pretty incredible ways, given how we started in this country. Right. Um, And so that is a long term journey that we are on. And I uh, and I think um, we have seen different iterations of injustice uh, amongst black people. Right. So slavery, Jim Crow, right? Um uh, uh educa- that you know, education lack of, right? And mass incarceration and uh uh you know, to police brutality um from uh you know, uh all of these things that have historically through um through what, what gentrification is now, you know, to what was the reason for blacks leaving the South before, right? Like we got to get out of here. We need some, we need, we need to establish some space and then we establish space in cities. And then that space gets broken up by highways or stadiums or gentrification. Right. Um, so I think the injustice continues on this journey on this trajectory that's been going on for a long time. And we need to stay connected to the whole story of that so that it doesn't get segmented and lost by the continued, um, uh, the, the, the continued evil of, of race and racism. Um, so that's one thing. And then we are not alone in this fight. I think I'm in a space now to where I'm going, man, what are my native brothers and indigenous folks, right. Uh, uh, Asian communities or the Asian diaspora, right. Um, and the injustices there, uh, are, Latinx brothers and sisters. Um, what does that look like? Right. There's all these communities that have suffered and are suffering um, because of this. And now I'm in a space of how do we bring those conversations together so that we can t- fight some of this stuff. So um, that's a long answer to your, your question, but I just think history, connection points with other uh, communities of color uh, to be able to answer some of these hard, hard questions.
2: You've. If- you've talked about at this stage of your life being pretty overt and dialed in about, about young leaders of color, about bringing together voices of color. And and I, I've heard the arguments in in various ways of how being pro folks of color is either is Mm anti-white. So I guess, how does, how does this era of your life, how is it both anti-white and not (laughs) anti-white? So, that that
0: goes back to my story earlier, right? That uh, when Leroy Barber was the great guy who was running a a part of a missions organization that was helping mostly white folks and discipling them and all this kind of stuff. Like, oh my gosh, like uh, so many friends and invited to all these places to speak and all these kind of things. And uh, it, life was wonderful, right? But when it's Leroy Barber, who's saying, no, I want to spend my time on leaders of color um, and uh, uh, training and promoting what leaders of color are doing, then there's a problem. Why, like I, I didn't create that problem. Like there wasn't a problem when I was concentrating on all, mostly white people, but now there's a problem when I'm concentrating on mostly people of color. Um, and so like. I don't buy that argument of like, I'm anti-white people. I wasn't anti-people of color when I was working with white people and I'm not anti-white people because I'm working with, with white, with folks of color. Right. That is raised by white people who, who don't, who don't want and or like the emphasis on people of color. Cause I, you know, I, I can be a little controversial here. I probably, I believe that many People who read the Bible and have read the Bible know that there is significant presence of leadership of color. They know it. They've read it all of their lives. And once you point it out, they can't ignore it. That's what I think is happening.
2: So point out, what what
0: instances are you talking about? You can't point out that Moses was a person of color, Right who was called in the leadership and who got there because his mom led a protest against Pharaoh. You can't argue that. We, we, I, like give me the most literal like person who interprets the Bible, the most literal as you want. You cannot deny that this is a person of color and that his mom led a protest against Pharaoh. Can't deny it. Can't deny that uh, Esther was an orphan, right? And wasn't like she wasn't wealthy, and she wasn't from she. she, You know, she was from a suffering, uh, oppressed group, right? Who led? Who who led the way out? You just, I mean, over and over again. David, you know, Esther, Rahab, right? The woman at the well, the Canaanite woman, right? The man born blind, right? Just keep going. All oppressed community groups. We preach and listen to stuff from leaders of oppressed
2: community groups every sunday so why do you think that's so easily co-opted and and that and that understanding of the bible is misunderstood
0: you know when we were when the bible crossed from you know one continent to another then the story got shifted right the story got shifted because and, and the story I, and i'm not going to say one type of human being is better than another type of human being like, I think it got co-opted because human beings um, are, uh, can't handle power. And too much power amassed in one place, we start to distort it. And the Bible got distorted because uh, too much power got amassed in one place. And that that has led to what we have now, the out, what we call Christianity. It lost its way, probably somewhere around the time of Constantine would be my guess.
2: That's a lot of years of of lost
0: Christianity. Yeah, well, it keep it keep. If there's one thing that's true, we know, right? Power does not give up anything, right? Nothing. It doesn't work that way. So anytime there's power, it's not going to give up, never, ever. The only way it gives up is if someone disturbs
2: it. We know that. As we know that the Bible would affirm mm-hmm. some of those places.
0: Oh, if, absolutely.
2: If you're going to introduce young folks of color to mm-hmm. understanding the Bible this way and to seeing the world in this way, what are the two or three spots that you'd like to to begin oh. with?
0: Uh, Exodus story, obviously. Um, and then Isaiah goes into a lot about this. Uh, and then the Gospels stories over and over again. Book of John is all these fascinating stories of leaders from the margin and how jesus interacted with them so those would be three places i would
2: i would start well there has been a lot here and the end of the sit-up podcast is on uh, discourse i would love to see you interacted with the, the your listeners here on uh, the mediums that you've outlined what are two or three questions that you would like to see your listeners today uh, deal with as we think about public discourse well,
0: discourse, give me your reason. You don't have to argue with me. Just give me your reasons for why you believe something different. Right. And we put that out and hopefully people will learn from both of us. They'll learn from me and they'll learn from whoever disagrees. So, um, that would be one thing, like no argument necessary, just state what you believe and, and let's just keep talking about it. Um, uh, the other, other thing I would say is, um, we will, we will put it out. If you, if you, if you bring it, we'll put it out. There's a, a new way to connect with the with the Sit Up podcast where you can leave a voice memo. Uh, you go to the Anchor app and you listen to the podcast, and you literally can leave a voice memo, and we will play some of those on air, and I'll answer those. All right. So there's the invitation for Discord.
2: That's great. I hope you get that. Folks, take you up on that offer. Thank you, Leroy, for for uh, this today. I'm excited to be a part of this and uh, I hope to see the response from it.
0: Thanks bro. This is a Sit-Up Podcast. Leroy Barber just got grilled.
2: Live life like you know the clock's
0: ticking.
1: On your part, get set, ready. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin.